Now today I'm going to talk about the importance of life and the importance of truth. Think about it for a moment. Life and truth. Now, let me say this to start off with. Both life and truth are absolutely required for salvation. You can't be saved without life, and you can't be saved without truth. Both of them are absolutely required. Now, you read here in Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God had something very, very important in mind when he created man. And the human body is absolutely the supreme physical creation of God. I mean, you may look at some of the intricate things that exist in all the animal world. But the fact is, when you consider man, man is unique in his own right because not only does he have the capability of creating and thinking and reasoning and thinking in the abstract, he's miles above any animal. So as we read here in Psalm 139, beginning in verse number 14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, which is an expression for the womb. Your eyes saw my substance, yet being unformed, and in your book they were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. So I can tell you, this physical creation is very, very important, and it is God's crowning creation, yet there are so many people who put so little value in human life. Ecclesiastes 3, verse number 18. Here's the state, however, that man finds himself in, in spite of the fact that he's got this wonderful body and all of its capabilities that God has created, we read, I said in my heart, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 18, concerning the condition of the sons of men, God test them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. See, the problem is that human beings have this intellectual capacity and they have imagined themselves to be a lot greater than what they are. They only compare it with other, uh, other human beings or other creatures that have been created on this earth. They don't have any concept of the difference between them and God. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them as one dies, so dies the other. In the final analysis. Now what, what, what we're talking about at this point is this physical life that God has given us. We're not addressing the issue of truth yet. That'll come up in a moment or two. Psalm 89, verse 47. Psalm 89, verse number 47. Remember how short my time is. You know, human beings, when they're young, they think that, uh, I can remember one years ago when I was up in, Denver, Colorado, I met an elderly gentleman there, and uh, I asked him how old he was, and he said he was 73. I thought, boy, he's up there. 
Well, I'm 73. I don't think I'm up there now. You see, the fact is that human life is very short, and you don't realize it until you get older, and all those years have gone by you, and then all of a sudden you say to yourself, well, where in the world did they go? You don't think that as a young, a young person, though. Somehow or other, when you're young, you don't have the same concept of time as you do when you become an adult. So as we read here in Psalm 89, verse 47, Remember how short my time is, and what futility you have created all the children of men. Apart from truth. It is futile. It isn't altogether futile because even though God's not giving all men by any means the truth at this present time, it still is a very important purpose that's being worked out, and they are learning essentials. They may not realize it yet, but they will someday. Psalm 104, verse number 29. You hide your face, and they're troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. So God has not revealed himself to everyone by any means. He's only revealed it to some, some limited ones. Ecclesiastes 2, verse number 22. For what is man, for what has man, for all his labor? And for the striving of his heart, with which he has toiled under the sun. What do you have in the end? I mean, this is an old cliche we have heard many times. You can't take it with you. So it does illustrate the futility of life apart from the truth. But now let's, let's add this thing of truth in with it. Of course, there was truth revealed in the Old Testament period. But it was physical truth, and salvation was not offered to those people in the Old Testament period. The blessings that they received were physical if they obeyed God. If they didn't obey God, they would receive the curses. But as you read here in John 4, verse number 24, we have something else introduced here. And here we read, God is the Spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. So we're looking at another level. We're looking at something that goes beyond the physical. And it involves not only a spiritual aspect, but it certainly involves the truth. That is absolutely required. John 1, verse number 14. So when Christ came, what do we read? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he introduced, he brought truth to a whole new level. Because in the Old Testament period, it was, it was only, they were only held accountable to the, for the physical application of it. Now we have a whole new aspect brought in. Now this was certainly manifested to these people who had been called. And here's a good example of it as we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 13. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Paul said, We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God, from the beginning, chooses you, not chose, chooses you, 
to uh, for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Here's the same thing we just read, didn't we, about Christ. When we worship God, what does it have to be in spirit and in truth? Sanctified, set aside by the Spirit and truth. So now truth is introduced. Now we all know from John 17, verse 17, what the Bible definition of truth is. Thy word is truth. Now we're talking about God's truth here. We're talking about the essential knowledge that is required for salvation. I'm not talking about physical truth because there's all kinds of physical truths that are available in this world. But again, they're just limited to this world. We're looking beyond that. Now they can have certainly have serious repercussions in this physical life. You know, you decide to go down the road 80 miles an hour and you want to see what it feels like to hit a brick wall in an automobile, you find out the penalty for it. Everybody knows the laws of inertia, don't they? Well, so there, there are physical things, but we're, concerned, we're concerned, concerned here with the spiritual. Now, when we look at the matter of truth, notice what it includes here. As we read in Psalm 119, and this is certainly a very, very, two very important aspects of truth. Psalm 119 and verse 142. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. You know what David said about that law? He said it's exceeding broad. You look at every man-made law, and I tell you, it will not take long for some shyster lawyer to figure out how to get around it. Well, we have people been trying to figure out how to get around God's law for generations, but it isn't going to work. And in verse 151, you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. So when we're considering the aspects of truth, we're looking at God's law and we're looking at his commandments. Hardly popular in today's world, is it? Acts 13, 48. Acts 13, 48. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, and here's Paul preaching, you see, up in those uh, Gentile churches. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been ordained to eternal life believed or appointed. Now, that doesn't mean they're automatically saved, but it means they're now given opportunity. What were they given? They were given the truth, weren't they? And what's that truth entail? Matthew 4, verse 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 1 Timothy 3.15. 1 Timothy 3.15. Notice where the source of this truth is in this physical world today. If I am delayed, I write so that you may now know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So on this earth, there's going to be those people who are God's people in his church who know and understand the truth. 
So we have two things here to begin with then. We have the absolute necessity to be born first and to have a physical life and to have a consciousness and to have enough uh, intellectual capacity to grasp and understand that God has given us the truth. Those two aspects. Now let's ask the next question. What is life without truth? You know, we all live a physical life, don't we? Now, if you go through this whole life without truth, what is this life like? Well, there are many, many scriptures that could be included in this, but I'm trying to just uh, summarize it. So let's notice a few texts here. Romans 8, verse number 20. The creation was subjected to vanity. That is, futility left within the physical realm, there is no real satisfaction in the long run. It's like uh, this, this fellow went to the doctor and he was worried about he wasn't going to live until 80. And the doctor said, well, he said, have you uh, overindulged and, and uh, ate a lot of food so you're, you're, you've had a lot of health problems from diet? He said, no, I haven't done that. Well, he said, have you ever smoked and, and drunk and, and, and smoked and, and took alcohol? No, I've never done that. Well, he said, uh, have you ever lived a riotous life and chased around with a wrong crowd and did things like that you shouldn't have done? No, I never did that. The doctor said, well, why are you still concerned about living to be age 80 then? You see, the doctor's idea was uh, if you really live a fast life and have all the amenities of life, that's what you live for. The only enjoyment out of life comes from having a good time. But you know, that comes to an end, doesn't it? So here's what we read. The creation was subjected to vanity, not willingly. Which one of us decided that we want to be human beings with, more, with a mortal body subject to all of the frailties and weaknesses of the flesh and everything that goes along with it with this human nature. Do you ask for it? No, not willingly, but we were made that way as human beings, weren't we? But because of him who subjected it in hope. So God had something in mind when he made us this way. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So God has something in mind. But if you're not called during this present time, that's not going to be presented to you. You look back at the time that God first revealed himself to mankind, and how was he regarded? Well, it didn't take Adam and Eve very long to get off the track, did it? We don't know uh, what course of degeneration set in. That is how rapidly the degeneration of human behavior set in. We only know by the time of the flood, which was 1,656 years after creation, God had to destroy the earth. It was so wicked. So what do we read here? Genesis, uh, Romans 1, verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. This is a penalty man has paid ever since. 
verse 32, it goes one step further. He said that these people, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Take a good look at this, home, this whole homosexual movement going on today. There are all kinds of people who are not homosexual that have sympathy toward homosexuals and think it's all right. What folly. What lack of foresight. Because that's the world in which we find ourselves today. Now here's a good example because we're, di we're discussing the issue of truth at this point and I said, what is life without truth? Let's notice what we read here in the book of Hosea. I've read this text several times recently in various sermons, but it's a very striking um, series of texts here that really lays it out. And this is in, in uh, Hosea 4, verses 1 and 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. You know, is God bringing a charge against the inhabitants of this land today? There is no truth, no truth. That's the very beginning point. No truth. Now where do you get truth? In any of the physical music, the physical uh, media in this world, and where do you get the truth in the churches of this world? There's any mercy or knowledge of God in the land. When you have evangelicals that want to make it known that not all evangelicals disapprove of homosexuality, but they want to be known as evangelicals who approve of homosexuality, what kind of a situation do you have? Can you say there's no knowledge of God in the land? By swearing and lying, killing and stealing, commit adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. That's the consequences, isn't it? of living without truth. I hope before I'm finished today you will realize how blessed and thankful you should be. Isaiah 59 verse 14. Isaiah 59 verse 14. Justice is turned back. I like the way uh, the Moffat translation, I, I don't think it, I'm not referring to this particular verse here, but there's one of the verses in the Moffat translation talking about the judicial system. It says, a good man is def defrauded over a quibble. Well, if that's not the, quote, justice system we have in the land today. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. Truth fails. And he who departs from evil, as the marginal rendering says, is accounted mad. What did, you, what did we just read? The, what the former secretary of, of, uh, of the um, Department of Labor said. The biggest threat in America today is not terrorism. It's fundamentalist Christians who believe in a higher authority. Yeah. 
He who departs from evil is accounted mad. Yeah, that's the society today. Now, when you look at so-called church people, and I can tell you what happened with, with most of those churches, a good percentage. I can't quote the actual number, but I can say this. There were thousands of people back there in the 70s who put all their confidence and trust and hope in a man or an organization. I've tried to tell you folks repeatedly, you better have your confidence in God and in the truth. Because I don't care what man it is, he's got faults and problems. Like I told Lydia, you know, I bring her to church all the time for one good reason. She can find out how human I am. You better have your confidence in God because that's the only thing that counts. So as we read here in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse number 10, here it's talking about these people who are allowing themselves to be deceived. Why? Unrighteous deception among those who are perishing because they did not receive a love of the truth. They didn't love it. There was a certain aversion toward it. And they drugged their heels. And they didn't agree with this point or that point. And they, uh, they took the word and segmented it and picked what they wanted to follow and discarded what they didn't want to follow. That's what people are doing. They didn't love the truth. Probably they didn't love it because they didn't realize what good is going to result from obeying it. Romans 2, verse number 8. Those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. Truth has to be obeyed. So we're looking at people here that don't obey the truth, or if they even had any inkling of it, certainly have rejected it. And it says they obey righteousness. Notice the word. They obey unrighteousness. They're enslaved to it. Indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. You know, there is, we read here in verse 11, there's no partiality with God. It's cut and dried. Whatever side of the, the line you decide to follow, the consequences are going to be automatic. You know, uh, this world is really controlled by the devil, isn't it? That's why you read in John 8, verse 44, he told those religious leaders, he said, you are of your father, the devil. It says he's a liar and he did not abide in the truth. So this is what life was like without it. And the consequences are pretty sad in countless cases. Now, let's ask the next question. What is life with the truth? What is life with the truth? Well, the first thing, I'm not going to turn to this text. Most of you already know it. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth what? Shall make you free. Now, the amount of freedom that you experience is going to depend largely on what you do with it. Because if you don't overcome the pulls of the flesh and the influence of society 
and the influence of the devil, you will not be too free. So free from the, the, uh, the um, conquering aspects of this world that keep people enslaved is what God frees us from. He didn't say the truth, would, the truth is guaranteed to make you free. He says it shall make you free. But that depends on you. Now what is that truth ensconced in? We're looking at people now who have had the truth revealed to them. And what do we read here in Titus 1, chapter 1 and verse 1? Titus 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and, of the, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledgement of the truth. So that's what's involved, an acknowledgement of the truth. And what does it say this truth is? Which accords with godliness. Now it can't be truth if it's ungodly, plain and simple. Now when you have a whole class of so-called Christians claiming that they're upset because somebody's too outspoken and strong against homosexuality because it's really not an ungodly thing, to practice homosexuality, is that godliness or is that ungodliness? That should be pretty plain. You know, I read something the other day from one of these people. They said, Jesus never once condemned homosexuality. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Read the Old Testament and read what the Apostle Paul said. My guess would be, if I could make a guess, would be that when Paul was writing on the issue of homosexuality is because it was rampant in the pagan world and in the Greek world. It wasn't that rampant in the Hebrew world. So Jesus didn't address it because he was, he was, de he was dealing with the Jews. Paul was dealing with the Gentiles and what were those Gentile religions guilty of? Psalm 51, verse 6. Remember what David said? In his psalm of repentance, after his sin with Bathsheba, he said, You desire truth in the inward parts. That's right. You can agree with it. And you can say, yes, I know, I know this is what it is and this is what I ought to do. But unless you internalize it and make a part of you, it's of little value. It has to be internalized. That's why he said you desire truth in the inward parts. And if it's not there in the inward parts, you make all kinds of exceptions to it. And you will not really fear God properly. Psalm 145, verse 18. Psalm 145, verse 18. Here's the benefits of knowing the truth. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. That's right. Now, what does that mean? Is he going to be near to those who are calling on him in falsehood and in error and in degeneration and every other abomination that God hates? Proverbs 14, verse 32. 
Proverbs 14, verse 32. The wicked is banished in his wickedness. Now we're looking again at the advantage of those who have the truth. But the righteous has a refuge in his death. He has a refuge. Now when we understand what God's purpose is here on this earth, we will understand very well what Job said when he said, if a man dies, shall he live again? You want to see a book that really gives you insight into the wisdom of the ancients, read the book of Job. And read it in some translation other than the King James Version. Because it's very difficult to understand the following there because of that language at that time. But he said this. All the days of my appointed time I will wait till you call. You will call and I will answer you. You will have a desire to the work of your hands. All men are going to be resurrected. But there are going to be those who are resurrected to eternal life. And those who are not. You read in the book of Hebrews, those men went through what they did that, for what reason? That they might achieve a better resurrection. Now, that leads to the next point here. What does truth mean to you personally? What's it mean for you personally? Well, I can tell you, primarily, it means you have a responsibility to act on it now. You don't act on it, you know what it means? You never really lived it. I had a minister say one time, and it really was the truth. He said, if you don't live it, you don't believe it. It's very easy to profess it. It's very easy to agree with it. But doing it is another matter. And that takes the power of God. There's a good example here of what I mean by that. Because here's what Jesus said. Let's go to Luke chapter 12 and verse number 47. That servant who knew his Lord's, his master's will and did not prepare himself to do according to his will. Didn't prepare himself. That takes some determination on your part to do something. To prepare yourself. He did not prepare himself to do according to his will. Shall be beaten with many stripes. Yeah, he's held a lot more accountable. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much is required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. That's what the truth means to you. Having the truth now doesn't make us superior or better than anybody else. But I can tell you one thing, it puts a responsibility on us that hasn't been put on them yet. Now, what are we going to do with it? James 4, verse 17. He who knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So it is a matter of knowing. And it's a matter of putting it to practice. 
Let's notice a few texts here in the New Testament. First of all, let's go to 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3 and verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, and that's what we read in the previous verse about the heavens melting and everything with a fervent heat. Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What are you living for? What are you anticipating? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Anything short of that is an empty goal. Now, that doesn't mean we should not have physical goals and things we attempt to achieve in this life. We all have to make a living and we, we, we need to be successful. And we do have intermittent, intermittent goals. But if your intermittent goals be, be goal becomes the only goal in life, it's the wrong goal. Second Timothy 2.21 2 Timothy 2, verse 21. Therefore, and then we read up above here. I won't go all the way up there, but it describes certain con uh, types of conduct that uh, we are not to do. And then it says here in verse 21, and I'm talking about this. Therefore, if anyone purges, purge himself, himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and youthful for the master. What do we do in this life? We have to purge the things in us that are contrary to God's will. Purging. Now, it does not happen automatically. It's not like falling off a log. You know, it's one thing to agree with the truth and to hold on to it. But that doesn't mean we're always capable of living it properly. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.5. The purpose of the commandment, so God gave us a commandment. Remember, we read commandment, his commandments are truth. The purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. That's what the aim is. We can, uh, we can come to a place in our lives when we begin. And hopefully if we grow, we can see more and more of the things that are our problems. You can't overcome something unless you're aware of what it is. And if you go your whole life and you never are aware of it, you never will overcome it. And so it is God's purpose that those things be made known to us. 1 Peter 1, verse number 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Truth has to be obeyed then, doesn't it? You, pur you, pu you purified them. Through the Spirit. That's the means by which it is accomplished. In sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So it takes a lot of understanding and, and patience and concern and consideration for other people. It's very easy to be picky, to find fault, to not agree with this or agree with that, whatever that person does. I can tell you what the responsibility God has given every one of us. We better overcome our own problems. 
Now, I said earlier, they didn't thank God. They were not appreciative and thankful for God. So when we're talking about this responsibility that God has given us, the next thing I want to point out is we had better, first of all, appreciate this physical life. And then appreciate the truth that's been given. You can live this physical life without the truth. And it's only a temporary step. If you've been given the truth along with this physical life, this is the one and only opportunity we're going to have. Psalm 8, verse number 4. Psalm 8, verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. Or as the marginal rendering says here, give attention or care for him. That you give attention to him or care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Now that's only part of the answer. You see, because while that's absolutely true, notice what we read here in Hebrews. Paul really spells it out clearly so you understand it. Hebrews 2 and verse number 6. What is man that you're mindful of him? So he's quoting that exact text. And he said, or the son of man, you take care of him. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set over him the works of your hands and have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, we he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see, we do not yet see all things put under him. Hasn't happened yet, has it? That's in the future. So when God says all things, that's what he means, all things, because when one enters the family of God, he'll be like God. Psalm 92, verse 4. Psalm 92 and verse number 4. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. Now, I'll tell you what will make you glad, and that is if you comprehend what that work is. And that work is God working in you and giving you the inspiration and the power and the help to overcome. And if we really appreciate that, in spite of all of the setbacks and difficulties we have, and we can keep our eyes on that goal, then we'll have great reason to be glad. I will triumph in the work of your hands. O oh Lord, how great are your, your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know 
nor does a fool understand this. What gives you that understanding? The Spirit. So the Spirit, remember what I said, those who worship God must worship God in spirit and in truth. They're in union with the Spirit of God, they have the Spirit, and they obey God's truth. They're not looking for excuses all the time, trying to find a way around it, regarding it as unimportant, insignificant. It's very significant and important to them, every aspect of it. 2 Peter 1 2 Peter 1 3. Beginning in verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The important issues of life and godliness. Not the ungodliness that's so rampant in this world. And in Psalm 139, verse number 17. Psalm 139, verse number 17. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. You know, we just have a little bit of inkling of an understanding what God's all about and what his purpose is. Only as much as what the Bible reveals and what the Spirit opens, us to, opens our minds to understand. Now, if you've never been given that opportunity, can you even understand what the Bible says? Of course not. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. So you see, this is a good example of appreciating the life that God has given us and the truth he's given us right along with it. Neither one of them should ever be sold short. Human life is very important and very valuable and should be very greatly appreciated. Now, just let me close by saying this. Would you like to share? Would you, would you like to be in a position where in this life you share that knowledge with other people? You know, if it's all just take in, just absorb in like a sponge and nothing's ever given out. That's certainly contradictory to what Jesus said because he would give us a rivers of living water. And those waters flow in and they flow out. Now let's take an example of what I mean here. Let's go to Luke 16. Luke 16, verse number 1. He said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. In other words, he was the overseer that took care of all of, all of the duties and responsibilities. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. Now let's ask ourselves a question. 
God has given us all kinds of physical things in this life. Are we wasting his goods? And what about the spiritual things that God has given us? Are we wasting his goods? This man did. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. You cannot waste God's goods. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. Ah, he was thinking ahead, wasn't he? He was looking out for old number one. He wasn't faithful and loyal in his responsibility. Now he's going to try to figure out some way to get around the punishment he has to receive. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much did you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said, Sit down, take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Now, was he cheating his master? Sure he was. The fellow was a fraud and a cheat. And he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said, Take your bill and write eighty. So his master commended the unjust steward because he had done shrewdly. Now that doesn't mean he approved of what he did. He just said, oh, you're a smart one, aren't you? You figured out some way to, to protect yourself. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And there are a lot of worldly people in this world that know how to make big, fast bucks fast. Every once in a while they do something illegal and they get caught up with and they end up in prison, don't they? Now here's his point. This is what the whole parable is about. I say to you, make yourselves, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That when you fail or when it fails, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, how do you make friends with this mammon that's, that is, is a part of this world? You share it, don't you? How do you share it? What's the most beneficial thing you can do? Make the truth known. Support the truth. That's why he says here, He who is faithful in what is the least is faithful also in much. You know, whatever the least we have in this physical life, are we faithful in it or are we going to waste our master's goods? And he who is unjust in what is least is un unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, we've all been given a measure of it, haven't we? Are we faithful in our responsibilities, our financial responsibilities before God and obligations? You have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon. Who will commit to your trust the true riches? You can't be dependent upon. You can't be faithful. God's not going to give you any more responsibility. And if you have been faithful in what is another man's, aha, 
What on this world do we have that doesn't belong to God? He says everything is his. He just gives it for you to use. How do you use it? And are you responsible in what God expects you to do? If you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Here's the answer plainly. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You don't put God first, you'll be putting mammon first. That's just the way it is. And you put mammon first when you relegate your responsibility before God to the back seat. Now there's an interesting text back here in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse number 1. Just keep this in mind. Cast your bread upon the waters and you will find it after many days. So you'll be, re you'll be rewarded in due time. So you see, when we're talking about truth, we're talking about physical life and truth, we're really talking about two things. We're talking about the fact that you cannot have eternal life without first experiencing human life. But you cannot gain eternal life unless you apply the truth that God has given you. And if you've been given that truth now, during this lifetime, you had better make the most of it because this is the only chance you're going to get at it. <laughs>